This podcast is brought to you by BeatStars, the number one marketplace to buy and sell beats. In this episode, our host DJ Payne One speaks to music producer Dylan Graham about tips for increasing beat sales online. To our pro page users, don't forget to check out our opportunities and challenges on BeatStars World for a chance to work with some of the industry's best creators. If you're not a pro page member, but would like to try it out, use the code PODCAST for a 30-day free trial. And of course, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Enjoy the show. Let's start over. What's going down, everyone? It's DJ Payne. One, I'm joined by a very special guest. Uh, but first, I, w- I want to make two important announcements that, that you will be happy you heard. Uh, number one, BeatStars community has migrated to the Clubhouse app. Um, so soon they'll be hosting exclusive conversations and panels with the BeatStars team, community, and special guests. You don't want to miss this. So search and follow the club on Clubhouse called BeatStar Community and join the conversation in advance. And then also, this is cool, uh, BeatStars teamed up with Masego and Native Instruments to bring you an all-new challenge. That's, I mean, if it had just been one or the other, that would be cool, but it's both of them. And there are over $5,000 in prizes that are up for grabs, including a personal shout-out from Masego himself. So learn more at masego.beatstars.com, M-A-S-E-G-O.beatstars.com, and the submissions end on April 16th. So you got time. That's almost a full month. Um, you got it. It's a mystery, uh, lady remix challenge. So now Dylan Graham joins us and I tweeted yesterday that one of, he's one of the best producers on the platform. That's me saying it. Don't, don't, don't say that that's an official, the official beat stars stance. Um, I, I don't, I don't officially work for beat stars just to get that clear. This is my opinion as someone who listens to his beats and just sits there and kind of thinks, what the hell am I doing with my life? If this is what his beats sound like, and this is what, this is what my beats sound like. How are you, how are you doing, man? I'm great, man. I appreciate that. For real. How you doing? Uh, good. Good. Considering that I'm living in the shadow of your, uh, of your mixes. Um, so I want to talk about, a, you know, your mixes a little bit. Um, but you know, are you cool with us starting at the beginning here and giving some background information on you? Yeah, yeah, whatever you want to know, man. You're letting your hair grow out. Is that new? It's just a quarantine cut, bro. We we still been we still haven't been going out really. The only time I've been going out is occasionally to a studio, a private studio, with a few people. But other than that, I've been staying inside. I've been the barber forever. I've actually been cutting my own hair. So, you know, if it looks terrible, it's because I've done it. Same. I always cut my own hair, and I always get well. Comments. <laughs> It's and it's like extremes no it is a hard job for me because i don't know how to do you do a fade, fade on the side you do a fade um, or you just buzz I, the whole thing i did today but it's like not the best I, I definitely don't know what i'm doing so no one ever would ever pay me to cut their hair but like it's either <laughs> like people say oh your beard looks amazing or damn bro what like who, who messed up your hairline anyway so i can't <laughs> win um but i got microchip today so uh hopefully i can start going to more studio sessions that was a that was a vaccine joke i'm not making a political yeah statement. i was i was like what <laughs> what is he talking <laughs> sorry uh so how long have you been producing uh 
I think 12. I started in 2000, late 2008. So like either 12, around like 12, 12 and a half years, something like that. What made you start to begin with? Um, so I, I used to play like guitar in a band when I was, I started playing guitar when I was like 10. And then I played in kind of like a little metal band. It was like, we did like covers and stuff. It was terrible, but, uh, I did that for a few years and then I started just getting more into hip hop. And then, uh, I really was like back into like the torrent days. I was like downloading all kinds of like programs and shit. And I just stumbled across FL studio. And then as soon as I found that I ended up, I think it was like a week later, I ended up watching hustle and flow. And you know, the scene with the white dude on the MPC, yeah, <laughs> the DJ, classic DJ scene. Qualls. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, damn, that, what is that? So I started looking up like MPCs and I found out what that was. And yeah, that, that's basically where I started. I just really started to like dive into hip hop and like, I was like, uh, going to record shops and like digging records and, and, uh, yeah. So 13 years ago. So I didn't realize you were a sample based producer, um, mm -hmm. at the beginning. Um, yeah. you, you approached learning music theory in a really unique and specific way because obviously now a lot of your your production is you know completely composed by you um and you explained it to me but i thought it was just a cool method so t tell me how you learned to play piano and what what method you used to learn um so i really just watched a lot of like youtube tutorials <laughs> um on how to play progressions and then i started getting like good at playing in like one specific key so i literally just play in well i've kind of branched out now more and i play in more keys but for the first like i would say three or four years uh really up until like last year i was playing just in b flat minor and i would look up tutorials and every time i would just type in chord progression b flat minor and I would really just like memorize a bunch of chords. So my thought process was I just have like an arsenal of chords. Anytime I want to replay over a sample that I've dug, I'll just pitch it down to where I play the key that I play in. And then once I like that idea, I'll take the whole thing and pitch it back up to whatever, you know, um, key that I wanted in. So for a long time, I was just playing in, in one key, which for a producer, I think is actually like one of the, like, I, I guess musicians, like anyone who knows theory or who's actually like trained well on an instrument properly, they're probably going to disagree. But I think for a producer, like just playing in one key makes it so much easier, so much faster to learn. And you can just learn as many chords as you possibly can. And as long as you're not playing in front of people and you don't have to like come up with shit on the fly, it's easier for producing it, in my opinion. Um but yeah, because you can just you can just transpose everything in the in the VST, so it really doesn't matter at the end of the day as long as it comes out dope, you know. I thought that was a really efficient method, and a lot of producers, you know, like that's that's really kind of one of the main traits of being a producer is doing something, some kind of task in the most efficient way possible. Yeah. Uh, do you have any favorite VSTs? um for a long time it was keyscape 
just because the pianos. But then when I really started digging into um, like making samples, um, I started to look for more like just pianos that had cooler textures. I'm really into, I think a lot of people sleep on it, but Addictive Keys has some really dope presets that like it's really slept on. And then I'm on this one um, uh, sample library. It's called, uh, shit, I can't remember what it's called off top. I found it on Instagram at, I'll, I'll let you know later, but it's a contact bank. Um, so I use that. And uh, I mean, just the regular stuff like analog labs, uh, uh, U, the UVI workstation is super dope. They have some really good sense. I actually think it's kind of better than analog labs, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, those, those are like the main three. How long have you been doing sample making and sound design? Like two and a half years, about two and a half, three years. I I mean, I've been, I've always tried to, at least for the last like five or six years since I started to get like decent on the keys, I've always tried to like, when I flip a sample, do something original with it, you know, maybe add my own like textures, vocal textures, keys. So in a way, I feel like a lot of that stuff applies to sample making. So it's not like I was just fresh from like flipping samples to all of a sudden making stuff from scratch. You know what I mean? But like full out making sample packs, releasing them, it's been about two and a half years. What What's are, is some advice that you can give to a producer that's thinking of getting into that? You know, they have an interest. What should they know before making their first sample pack? Um, as far as just making samples or as far as like marketing and releasing it, just making samples, I would say, uh, honestly, one of the biggest gems is to realize that you don't have to do everything yourself. And I think that music is, should be collaborative. Like if you're just trying to do everything yourself, first of all, you're going to gas yourself out and you're going to limit what you can do. Um, I know that you guys do it as well with like dream life and memory and stuff. And like, that's a huge thing for me is like, sometimes I don't feel like making shit from scratch and I'll just, you know, cook up a quick chord progression. I'll send it to a guitar player or someone else. They'll send it back to me. Then I'll mix it. I'll pitch it down, put all my effects on it. Maybe run it through some pedals or some gear, maybe even get a vocalist to do a top line on it and then really just kind of produce it opposed to just, you know, making everything from scratch, it always comes out better anyway, especially when you're working with really talented musicians. So, And you're running pedals through your DAW. How are you doing that? Is that uh, memory? It's called, telling uh, me about it. Yeah. So traditionally it's called reamping where you take, you, re- you record a, a dry guitar um, opposed to like just miking up an amp. <laughs> And, you know, you're stuck with those effects this way. If you record like a dry guitar or whatever you want, you can run it out of your interface through your pedal chain. Traditionally, it would be into a mic and then record or into an amp and then record it with a mic. But with a reamp box, you can actually go back into the interface. So it's literally just like using VSTs. It's really complicated. It took me forever to figure out. Um Shout out to Coop the Truth for he's the one that really put me on to uh, using pedals for effects. He's like the goat when it comes to textures and 
and using pedals and all that stuff as far as the sample makers in the community to go. But, but um, yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, it's a game changer, honestly, especially with this chase bliss pedals. And there's so many crazy effects that you just can't get in VSTs right now that, you know, it's, it's, it's a game changer. Yeah, I, he he. Every time I see him, he keeps telling me, I, "Get the get the reamp pedal, man! You the damn fool!" Every time, um, <laughs> or, or but I think you can do it. According to him, tell me if this is correct. You can you can do that without a reamp box if you have a certain kind of interface, right? Uh, the Apollo, but it's uh, it. In my experience, it's it's just a dirtier signal. If you have a reamp box. It just sounds better. It's cleaner, but you can do it without it. Got it. I know I can't do it with my my current um, interface and and preamp. Anyway, um, so you've been making beats for twelve years. How long have you been making beats for a living? <clears throat> um, so the first year I was self employed was I moved down to Atlanta. I think it was six and a half years, almost. Yeah, six, maybe seven now, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. About seven years, six and a half years. What, what would you say were some of the main factors that took you from being a hobbyist beat maker to a career producer? Um, I guess the story would be linking up with uh, Epic, the Don, uh, Julian. He was like a, he still is, he's crushing it now, but he was a, you know, like one of my big inspirations back in the day, like back in the sound click days when everyone was going crazy on there. And, uh, he really just showed me how to market. He taught me about email marketing. He taught me about, um, running out ads on SoundClick back when that was like a big thing. Um, YouTube, how to rank on YouTube, like all that stuff. So linking with him was like, honestly, a really big key to that. And then, um, I just, my beats just started getting really like just leveling up a lot at that point. It was like one of those points in my career where I went from like, you know, I did a big jump from kind of shitty production to like actually decent beats all at the same time. And it was just kind of, just kind of worked out like that, you know, but, um, I was working at it from, uh, you know, probably five or six years, almost every single day, uh, that I could even working a full day job, I'd come home and I'd work on beats for like eight hours until the middle of the night, go to sleep for a few hours, go back to work. So it wasn't like an overnight thing, but it was, that was a, you know, combination of all those things. So then it it took you about five years or so just to get to the point where you actually uh, viewed your beats as, as good or as on the level of, of, what your influences were creating, how did you focus and hone in on making better beats? And then how did you know that your beats were good enough at that point? Um, actually at the time I thought my beats were amazing. Like looking back, I realized that it was, that was that point where, you know, especially because almost everything I've ever done, I've uploaded. So I can go back and listen and be like, Oh wow. Like, this is where they actually started getting decent. Um, but really just, just studying it. Like I used to, I was a smoker for like, I quit like four, four years ago now. 
but I was a smoker. So every time I would go out for a smoke break, I would take my headphones, I would listen to my mix, and then I would listen to like my favorite song and I would just reference it. And I did that with all my favorite producers uh, back when like Sound SoundCloud was like a big thing and there was all the crazy producers on there. I would just reference like relentlessly. It was a, it was like obsessive, honestly, just trying to get my mixes as good as everyone else's. And uh, yeah, it was just, it's just referencing, honestly, and then just just trusting your ear from there. Having done all that referencing, what was one of the biggest mixed mistakes that you were making before <clears throat> you got to the point where you figured it out for yourself? Um, listening to like conventional mixing advice and, you know, from engineers who make different genres. Like I was always going back and listening to like engineers who were on all the technical stuff. Um, and I could just never get my mixes like as punchy as I wanted them. I was using, I was trying to master them. I was trying to do all this crazy compression. And then I realized like a lot of these guys or these interviews I'm watching are so old that they don't realize what I'm trying to make my shit to sound like. And it's, you know, it's different stuff. It's like trap hip hop. So it's like, they aren't used to hearing that. So it's really just not listening to that and just list, trusting your ear. I mean, a, a lot of the times, even back then, when, and my mixes still sounded decent. I do them different now, but I would literally just turn everything up as loud as they could go. I didn't care if it was clipping as long as it wasn't distorting. So I would turn it up as loud as I could and then kind of come down from there to where it sounded clean enough, but like loud enough. And then um, using like a little limiter on the, on the master would help too, like a soft clipper if you're in FL Studio. But um but yeah, it's just just trusting your ear, really. Hey guys, if if you don't use FL Studio, you can still use a soft clipper. You FL Studio people. Um, so elephant in the room. Okay. Well, first let me ask: Did you delete the the Beat Stars twenty twenty income post from your Instagram? If so, maybe I don't want to talk about it. Uh, no, it's on there. Yeah. Okay, I just couldn't see it. Okay, so then we can talk but about behind it. a slide. It's behind a slide of another picture. Got it. Um, yeah. what, okay. It, it was impressive how much income you generated on BeatStars in 2020. Um, so congratulations on that. I think everybody was was really excited for for that. Thank you, bro. Um, and and I guess what was what were past years like compared to 2020? Was was 2020 a big jump for you? Yeah, huge. It was more than double, honestly. Wow. Yeah. So it, so for about three or uh, I would say four years in a row, it was a very, very slow increase. So my first year hitting six figures, I think it was like 102,000. This is net. Uh, the next year was 105. Next year was 106. It was very slow. And then lat, not 2019 was like 120, which I thought was big. And then 2020 was over 250. <clears throat> and it was really just a combination of, of um, you know, just being consistent with it. And then, of course, I mean, I think everybody in 2020 that was already doing good on BeatStars had a much better year because of, I think it was the stimulus checks, 
um, unemployment for a lot of artists who, you know, were are getting paid more on unemployment than they were at their previous job. I talked to a lot of artists who were just like stoked about that and they were just buying as many pieces as they could. Um, so it was a combination of that and a few other things, but we can get into that later. Well, or we can get into it now. What do you, what do you think some sure. of the, the bigger factors were just for you as your brand, you know, your habits, your mm-hmm. scheduling, your level of consistency, what, what would you say, were some of the biggest determining factors in in that kind of jump. I mean, doubling your more than doubling your income in any field is is a hell of a feat. So for you specifically, yeah. what what felt like the reason? Uh, so the main reason I know was I started working with other producers, and I, I've been doing this for about uh, three years. But as soon as I started seeing my income increase like significantly, it just motivated the shit out of me. And I just started making and releasing as many beats as I could. The last couple of years, I was kind of on the border of like, should I do half placements, half samples or like, you know, and then delegate some time to beat stars. But once I saw the income increase, I just knew I had to take advantage of it. So, but the main thing was really, um, working with other producers and sending them my beats or samples to upload on their site and give me 50%. Um, some give me a little more, some give me a little bit less, but it's around there and it's really not a collab. I just send them a finished beat. Um, like I said, sometimes it's a sample. If they, if they don't feel comfortable doing that, they'll just flip the sample, give me 50%, just like a collab which honestly is amazing because you already have a finished sample pack that you can just send them. And it's honestly as passive as it gets when it comes to making, you know, money off beats, but it was really just sending, sending stuff to a bunch of producers. I'd go on YouTube, find like the top guys in like in the genres that I was looking for, hit them up on Instagram. Half the time, they only have a few hundred followers on Instagram, even though they have 200,000 followers on YouTube. DM them and just, you know, be like, yo, what's up? I love your work. If you want to, you know, uh, do this, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I just, it was kind of stacking up over time of just hundreds of beats out there on other people's YouTubes. And then once that stimulus check and everything started happening, it was like, boom, uh, it felt like out of nowhere, honestly, but it was a, you know, a combination of, of a lot of things and just being consistent too. And, uploading twice as much as I, as I used to. Here's a serious question that maybe doesn't sound like a serious question. Um, do you have any tips for keeping your, your studio space clean? You're always in a really clean environment and not, Mm. not all producers are in clean environments. I cleaned up. (laughs) I cleaned up last night, but, um, it's it's actually not too hard to keep clean because, for one, my girlfriend did all my cable management. And for two, she took all my cables that I wasn't using and like individually ra- I shared this on my story, but it's like the most story replies I ever got. People are like, damn, she's a keeper. But she took every single cord, individually wrapped them, and she put them in this like organized drawer thing. So shout out to her. But yeah, I mean, it, it's not too hard. I don't have that much gear. All I have is pedals and a few keyboards and, and that's it. I'm not a gear guy. 
was it just that you asked her? Was it your birthday, or did she just come in and she just she did because yeah. she was sick of seeing all the cables looking crazy? Yeah, probably. Okay. Honestly, yeah. So okay, so producers just just piss off your significant others, and maybe <laughs> maybe they'll be compelled to just out of frustration um, help you organize. So I know you you mentioned YouTube. Um, do you upload beats to YouTube that often these days? No, I just started getting back on YouTube like two, like three months ago. And I upload like maybe once a week. I've been trying to get better at it. I've just been juggling my time between that. And then I've been working on a lot more placement stuff lately. So I've been just honestly slacking on the YouTube stuff lately. So we had one, I think it's, well, I'll tie this all together. But um, last week, I had the producer team anyway well on here and they're a group of four producers and they're all making a living off of a single beat stars account. And they don't really use YouTube at all. They're they're like you where their 2021 goal is to actually get into YouTube. And you hear all the time producers saying, you know, you can't, you can't make a living off of beats if you're not big on YouTube. Now, Obviously, anyway, well is doing it, and you're doing it. You said you made over two hundred and fifty thousand in twenty twenty alone, and you don't have big YouTube numbers. So the majority of your sales are just coming right in through BeatStars. BeatStars uh, email marketing has always been a huge thing. Uh, I think it's like the, I can't remember the last time I checked, but I think it's around sixty five percent of my business are return customers. So just have like a really loyal customer base, honestly. And then uh Matrix. And then honestly, uh I get quite a few sales from the BeatStars marketplace too. Like I, it's been surprising this past year. It's like I was really, really surprised how much money I made just from the marketplace, which is insane. It's kind of made me debate if I should look more into like marketing on the BeatStars platform, doing like some promo and stuff. Um, but yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the anyway, well method. Um, so yeah. So, yeah, some, some yeah. They're killing it. I just talked to them a few weeks ago. They're, I think they're mostly uh BeatStars promo, aren't they? At least that's what yeah, they, yeah. they spent, I think over 20,000 on BeatStars promo last year. And crazy. They had, I don't know how many beats in the top 10 and then top 20, even more. Um, and you know, I, I know, you know, if you have a beat in the top 20, if I, I don't know if I have any right now, but when I had a number one beat and it was a three-way collab, it was selling like crazy. In spite of the split, it was selling like crazy. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I've never, I don't even think I've ever been in like the top 20 before. Oh, so we're dispelling all kinds of myths now. Like there, you don't need YouTube if you're not in the top five. You can still make a living off this. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people psych themselves out over the numbers. Um, so let's let's transition into that because there's something that people don't see, um, and that's the the customer relationships. Mm-hmm. Those aren't numbers that you can just flaunt. Because followers aren't the same, subscribers aren't the same as customers, plays yeah. aren't the same as sales. Um, and when we first met, you taught me two big keys about marketing beats. Uh, so let me start with the first one. 
um, which is collecting emails and sending out regular email campaigns to subscribers. And, and you told me that that was really effective. And you also said it was the, the core of your beat selling business. And it sounds like it still is, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's the most important thing in, in any business. I mean, if you look at why Amazon's so big, it's because it's like the most convenient place to buy anything. And then when you need to talk to someone, it's like instantaneous and they're like easy to work with and nice. And I feel like that should be like the foundation of any company, you know? So anytime someone emails me, um, I do my best to get back to them as soon as I can. And even if they're a little bit annoying or they're asking for too much or whatever, I just, I always be as nice as I possibly can because sometimes I feel like, you know, saying something different. And then I'm like, now just do what you've been doing. And then it turns out they really appreciate it. And then they start buying more beats from me. So it's like, just, you know, just be, just have good customer, customer service and respond as fast as you can. And, and, and try and like, you know, exceed their expectations. You know, sometimes if someone like a beat or a stem is messed up in a beat and I can't find it, I'll just give them two free beats just for the trouble. And then they'll, you know, they'll appreciate the hell out of that and they'll come back and they'll buy 10 more beats over the next couple months. So yeah, just customer service, man. And then the second um, key you gave me about emails was that your emails need to be conversational, not super mm-hmm. sterile or even necessarily professional sounding. And you tell me sometimes your subject line is just yo. Yeah. That's the best. That's the, that's the one or like, what's up? Yeah. So when you, when you keep your emails conversational, do people tend to reply a lot and start conversations <laughs> with you? And where does that lead? Way more, not as much nowadays, because I feel like a lot more producers are doing email marketing. So, you know, they're probably getting a ton of emails every day that have the same subject line, like, yo, or what's up. I've told a lot of people about this. And I feel like, I mean, a lot of people have just got on email marketing more in general, not just from me, but um, it's just super effective way. And it, I think when you're, when you do it more personal and you ask some questions, that are genuine, they actually have something to respond to instead of just sending out a statement of, Hey, I drop more beats or Hey, I have some deals, ask them how they're doing, bring up a current subject in the news, or just give them like some valuable information. Like I say this all the time, just give more value than you're getting. It's like, it's like the, you know, the Gary V formula is it's worked for him. So why can't it work for everybody else? It's like, just give as much value as you possibly can. People are appreciate that so much. Like they'll become long-term followers, you know, or customers just because they appreciate you putting in that much effort and just giving them value. You know, they have a reason to come back. Yeah. Um, to, okay. So you already said that a lot of your sales come from repeat customers. <clears throat> Um, how often do you send out emails? Uh, lately I've slowed down quite a bit. It's only been maybe, um, once, once a month last month, it was, uh, twice a month, but it used to be probably, I mean, the beginning of this year and all last year, it was like once a week, at least 
I try not to do two or three. It just gets too to be too much, especially if you're trying to create conversation. It's almost annoying. Like, why does this guy keep hitting me up? You know, if you're doing a traditional marketing where you're just giving deals or it's like during the holidays for like coupon codes or whatever, that's different. But on the regular, I wouldn't do any more than like once a week. How do you collect email addresses for your list? All mine are just from uh, return customers, which is probably why my return customer base is so high. But um, that's for the beats and then the, the sample site is different. But we can talk about that later if you want. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. Um, in terms of paid advertisement, I know you mentioned doing that back in the in the SoundClick days. Do you, do you do any kind of paid advertising now? Um, I watched your video with uh, uh, Mike on YouTube ads. So I've run a couple. So if you go on my YouTube channel, you see the ones with like 70 or 50,000 views. That's because I tried that. That actually worked really well for me. I've had a lot of people hitting me up from, from YouTube. Um, so that, that I just started doing. But um, I do Instagram story ads. Um, that's mostly for the sample site. When I drop a sample pack, I'll run a lot of Instagram story ads and it works amazing. But everything else, I don't really run ads anymore for like the beat store specifically. Aside from YouTube, there's no ads. So what's, what are some differences between promoting beats and and promoting uh, your sample store? Um. It's hard to say because like my experience with selling or promoting beats was first sound click and then um, a little bit of Facebook ads that never really worked that well for me for selling beats. And then um, YouTube and Instagram. It's, it's hard to say really just with the sample packs. I just, I do a, a you know, a little animated um, video of the sample pack with like a swipe up and I just do that on Instagram. And then with beats, it's, it's really the same thing. I just, I try to make sure I don't link my, um, Instagram to the actual story ads. So people aren't going to click on it and go to my Instagram. I'm trying, I'm trying to do more like industry stuff lately. I'm getting a lot more into like getting placements and and stuff like that. And I, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people in the industry think that selling beats online is kind of corny um and like promoting it and stuff like that so i kind of try and keep them separate so i have like the instagram is for like you know um i know this isn't part of the question but i'm gonna say it anyways basically instagram is like for placements so you know networking with other producers um that type of stuff and then i have my store which is for beats and then the obviously the uh the sample site so it's kind of like three different um you know parts of my business but it's really no different. It's just, you know, the platform you're doing it on. I still think it's so hilarious that there is that stigma within certain industry yeah. circles. Well, and just because you have, a, I mean, I, I don't know what the statistics are like, so I'm not even going to pretend to make up a number, but I, we can name a ton of, you know, internet producers, beat stars producers that, are just killing things and have, you know, top mm-hmm. 10 hits right now. I mean, obviously yeah. young Keo, but like KBZ, just all these people that have transitioned into the industry mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. Cash Money AP, all these guys who just sold a ton of stuff online or who were personalities yep. um, on YouTube before all of a sudden waking up in, in a bed full of platinum. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I don't know if that... I, you think it would have changed by now, but there, I think there's there's still some remnants of that in the industry. I don't I don't get it. Vice versa too. I see a lot of industry guys trying to get on uh, Beatstars. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing. So you would think that that would that would change things too, but yeah, yeah it, I guess it just depends on how you're marketing. If I feel like in a way it is kind of corny if your Instagram is just a bunch of like pictures of drake and you just are promoting drake type beats all on your instagram it's like come on man i mean like i you have to actually create a brand you know you can't just like do a bunch of deals on your instagram and then get mad at when people are calling you corny for doing that you know my instagram feed is just a bunch of pictures of drake but <laughs> that's that's because apparently i look like drake um you have a ton of followers on beat stars how did you grow that following on that platform? Because it seems to me like if you're getting sales off the marketplace, having followers on BeatStars and people who get alerts every time you upload a new beat, that's that would be a pretty useful thing. Yeah. Um, shout out to Abe, man. He he uh, he convinced me to come over from. Um, it was my flash door back then for Airbit. I think in like 2016 or 2017, sorry. And um, it really just started slowly growing from there, just consistently uploading. I don't think there was any real secret to it. It was just a slow kind of um, build. And I know BeatStars has grown so much since then also. And it was just kind of, you know, just consistency really. So you don't ever incentivize followers or do like a free download in exchange for a BeatStars followers? I started just... doing that now that now that I'm back on YouTube, I started doing the free da- tag uh, download. That was recent though. But is it in exchange for a BeatStars follower or is it in exchange for an email or something else? Email. Yeah, email. email. Um, I, was, I tried it for BeatStars followers, but I just feel like email marketing is just... It's just more, uh, you know, it's more effective, in my opinion. Are you planning on getting into SMS marketing? I've thought about it for a long time. Um, Honestly, I I think I'm good with everything I have right now. Like, I'm just trying to juggle everything. Everyone's always hitting me up about, like, click funnels or something else. Or, I don't know. Even with, like, TikTok, it's like, I just don't have time to do all of these things at once especially trying to like work on more placement shit. That's really like 60% of my time now is just working on placement stuff. So it's like, I just, I don't have time to do anything else really, but I've heard it's, it's super effective. Well, let's, let's talk about placements then. Cause that's come up a couple of times. Um, when you first started uploading beats online, were you thinking about major placements? Was that a goal or did that grow over time? uh i mean i always wanted to work with bigger artists like everybody does but i also just had this stigma that there wasn't a lot of money in the industry which i've found like it isn't really true it just depends on the situation you know but um i just no i I really wanted to just make a big brand online and started making making beats online and then once i started having success with it 
I realized that there was something missing and it's really just that I love making music with amazing artists. And on top of that, I want to be known as, as one of the greats in the industry who doesn't. So it's like really just that slow, you know, picking away at like building up your catalog and, and, uh, yeah, but initially it didn't, it didn't start out with that intention though. That's so interesting that you had this, this belief that there was no money to be made in the industry, which is really the opposite of, I think what Mm -hmm. most people think. I think most people think you get a placement, you're automatically rich. And so that's kind of what they aspire for. And why? I just, just curious. I just heard what was so many, that? I just heard so many horror stories, even starting out, like just cause I've always been really heavy on networking. So when I first started producing, I was on Facebook, like adding different producers and stuff, and just talking to people. And I just heard all these stories, like takes you forever to get paid. If, if you do get paid, sometimes like they just take your B and like remake it or it's just like, you know, I just heard so many horror stories. So I was like it. And I knew at the time, like at the time, there wasn't that many people like going crazy with selling beats online. But I was watching like Johnny Giuliano, these type of dudes, like the OGs on SoundClick who I knew were making crazy money. So that's really who I was trying to be like back then. It was like making six figures a year at the time seemed like insane. So I was just, I was trying to chase that more. It still kind of is insane, but it is. Yeah. I, I would agree that it does take forever to get paid off of major placements. It, it does. It that's, does. that's the frustrating thing. I, um, and you know, they have these new portals. This is why <laughs> I, I kind of go between like every time we get a major placement, yeah, and I have to sign up to a new payment portal. Are you talking about the Atlantic the, or the the Atlantic portal? Dude, um, the worst shit ever. <laughs> I'm not even talking about the Atlantic portal. Um, UMG has one. Uh, yeah. The one I recently did was Disney because I got a sync placement. Yeah, and the Disney portal. Oh my god, that was that was a portal. That that's the portal to end all payment portals because there's like a pre. <laughs> pre-approval process where you have to talk to people and then sign up and then get a number and then email that number just, just to get, just to be able to submit an application for the portal. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have to apply to get money for a job that I completed six months ago. It was the weirdest thing. Yeah. The portals are the worst, man. The first one I was so confused. I think it might've been with universal. And it took me so long to figure it out. And we got paid, I think, like a year and a half after the song came out. And it was, yeah, the portals are the worst. Yeah, and then in the meantime, you're just getting sales notifications off BeatStars all day. And you know that money's instantly in your account. It's, right. it's just... <laughs> anyway, um, when, when did you get your first placement? Because I know for a while, you know, you were just really hyper-focused on... on the online uh, licensing space. Yeah, I just started chasing placements about a year and a half ago, a little over that. But my first placement was with my bro, um, Daniel uh, Vega. He, Me and him got a placement with, I think the first one was Currency, Mozzie, and Burner on um, the Currency and Burner 
collab album. That was my first, very first placement about a year and a half ago. What was the story behind that? How did that get to that? That was just a random one. He just hit me up and said, hey, I used your loop. Uh, We got this record. I was like, all right, cool. So you had just been sending him samples the whole time? Yeah, we've been working for quite a few years. So yeah, I just sent him a pack and and yeah, he he got it placed. And that was 2019? That was 2019. Yeah, that was the first one. Okay, because in 2020... You got a few placements, including mm-hmm. Young Ame, IDK featuring Wale, and some other, a whole bunch of people. Dave East. Who, mm-hmm. who am I missing? Uh, so it was Dave, Dave East. It was a single featuring Jack Weiss. Um, I got three songs with Wale. Uh, I can't even think right now. I'm re- Yeah. There's, there was probably about, I probably gotten a total of maybe like 13 or 14 major placements since that first one. And then, you know, now it's, you know, it's just a waiting game, uh, on, on the other ones. Those are all the released ones, but there's a bunch of new stuff that's supposed to come out within the next month or so that I'm super excited about, which probably shouldn't say anything about, but, but yeah. No, I'm not going to ask you cause that's something that I'm really superstitious about too. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, so what was what was the craziest placement? The be- the biggest bag was definitely the Davies one because it was a single on its debut album, and they it was the um, uh, the Jodeci sample. However you say it, Jodeci. Um, yeah, that that record we got definitely the biggest bag for that. But um, yeah, that's that's probably the biggest one that I've had so far, honestly. I know with the with the Young May placement that did that project get certified? I have no idea. Okay, something something to watch for. But um, that was a collab you mean, with. You mean did um, it go gold? Yeah, I think it's like right. It's about to go gold. The numbers are like. I know she posted something like uh, in October. And it was already almost gold, so it's it's probably gonna happen any day. And that was a collab with um with with you, right? With you, Dub. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to him. And he's he. Everyone knows that. Well, maybe not everyone knows that he did. He did. Ooh, so he did. You know her her huge, huge, huge yep. debut single, and a whole bunch of other records of hers. Mm-hmm. Um, how how did you link up with him? SoundClick, man. He's the he was like a OG on SoundClick. So I've known him for years just from seeing him on there. And then we started working a couple years ago. Uh just on and off of just send him a few ideas here and there. That one in particular was just my drums on the on there. I sent him a uh like a finished drum loop and he just did the sample and everything else. <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to get an interview with him forever, but apparently he's never done an interview. So he just wow. do it. Yeah. Tried, I tried to get him on one after the, the Young May record went viral. It's just a mystery. Um, how would you say getting placements is different from the beat licensing <clears throat> world? It's hugely, it's massively different. It depends because you can get sample placements, which are 
either amazing or a huge headache, which I've honestly actually, I was thinking about waiting to tell, like kind of announce it, but I don't, I think this next pack is going to be my last one just because it's such a pain in the ass chasing down people uh, to get paid. I feel like there's, I have probably six records within the last year, bigger ones that I haven't gotten credited on. So yeah, that's sample placements. But as far as actually getting placements, working with artists, it's just networking and then finding a couple producers that you work really well with. So um, a producer that I work with a lot, almost every day now, his name's Tariq, Tariq Beats. Me and him, basically everything I do is basically a collab with him as far as industry stuff. And we've just been, um, yeah, he's just super plugged. So I've been sticking with him for uh, about the past, about a year and a half. We've been working consistently. And then I work with um, just, I mean, everybody, honestly, everybody that I can. But there's like three or four that I just stay consistent with. And we just build a, a tighter relationship that way. When, you know, he comes up with an opportunity, he knows to just hit me up first. Because I also try and do the same thing with, with um, you know, working with industry guys and getting placements as I am as customer service. is like I'm trying to do it as fast as I possibly can. That's like major key in the industry. If someone hits you up for something, do it right away. Especially if they're asking you to like remake something or add something to it do it right away. So within like an hour or two, I try and get the idea back as fast as I can and as like quality as I can. And they're like, I hear all the time um, from people that I'm working with is like, damn, like you work so fast. And it's like, cause I'm trying to, you know, prove a point to you is like, when you come up with an opportunity, you need something hit me first. Cause I will get to it right away. So yeah, that's really different. It's just networking and then just creating like really strong relationships with with those people that you really fuck with, you know, don't just work with people cause they're getting placements work with people that you actually work well with and you fuck with how their sound is, you know, that's the most important thing. Um, Tyreek beats. He was from SoundClick too, right? Uh, I don't know if he was ever selling beats online. He might've actually with done some kind of thing with Julian back in the day with Epic. Um, I don't know. I swear I saw I his name ever. and like I remember that name because because I just remember hearing his beats years ago and I was just blown away by them. He's a yeah, he's kind of like a a low key like goat in the industry. He just he's produced so much stuff you would never expect. Um just because he's not like on social media like crazy. If you go to his his Instagram, he doesn't have that many followers. He's just like you know, there's a lot of people in the industry like that. They just don't care that much about cloud or social media. They're just, you know, getting a lot of placements. Yeah. yeah. Um, before I even move any forward, any further forward, I, and I wanted to ask this before, what's the name of the sample uh, company that you run and, and where can people find them? Especially if you're announcing your retirement from the sample game, they really should probably... That's fast. Yeah, it's called uh the samplestash.com. I'm gonna be um I started kind of testing selling other people's packs. So when I do decide to stop, it's it's gonna be me kind of scouting for like really talented um, you know, creators to continue uploading on the platform. It was previously called the sample plug, but I ended up parting ways with my business partner on that. We started the site together. 
and now I've kind of just turned it into the sample stash. So, yeah. So on, on the journey to where you are now, did you have any moments where you doubted what you were doing, doubted your eventual success in the music business? Yeah. Every day, (laughs) every day I'm like, I'm simultaneous. I think a lot of producers are like this, but musicians, artists in general, but I'm at the, at one time, I'm like the cockiest person ever. I think my shit's amazing. And then on the other side, I'm like super self-conscious and like, fuck, why isn't this working faster? I feel like this is never going to happen. I wouldn't say every day, but every couple, I would say at least once a month, I go through like a little kind of just beat block and then just overthinking things. It's, it's been like that my entire career. You know, I feel like a lot of people are like that. I don't know if you do the same thing, but a lot of producers I talk to, they go through beat block and just feeling like quitting sometimes like it happens all the time. So you gotta, when it, when that happens, I really just kind of try and sit down and think like, what the fuck else am I going to do, man? Like, this is what I love to do. Like, what am I just going to quit and go find a different career? It's like, I, I love doing this. So just like put your head down and you've seen what's happened so far. So just fucking keep going. Like be patient, you know? Yeah. I, I think it's funny because it's hard at every level. It was hard before, yeah. you know, the successes and the placements and the sales uh, benchmarks and after it's it's just as hard it's something about the the mind of a creative person where it's just mm-hmm. never it's never enough i don't yeah uh, that's one one for the therapy session um so aside from the the retirement bombshell what what are you excited for in 2021 just all these records to co- start coming out i've been working the last like year or so with so many producers and just, yeah, I've been working on some really cool shit and just really awesome records and really talented producers, just so much good music and like by far the biggest records I've ever gotten. And there it's uh, really like a a snowball of all the things I've been waiting for are going to come out this year. So I'm just super excited to see what happens with these lot of new opportunities and stuff too so are you in the studio a lot with with these artists or with songwriters or or other people because like you said you had three records with wale last year um Mm -hmm. those were all placed or those were all sample uh placements everything that i've gotten aside from the jack Cleese record and the k camp or no that was a placement or that was a sample um i think yeah everything aside from the davies one was from sample packs and all the new shit I have coming out, I've actually got to work on one of the, a few of the records I've actually got to do um, like post-production after the song's already recorded, which is amazing. Super cool experience. I actually got to work one-on-one with some artists uh, like over FaceTime, which was crazy. And uh, yeah, it was, it's really just all through um, networking on Instagram, finding people, creating those like close relationships getting their number, then calling them whenever you have an opportunity, they call you and they have an opportunity and then just building the relationship. And then, yeah, one thing leads to another. And it was easy this year because it's like everyone was doing it, you know, it's quarantine. So it's like, 
it's different than before when everyone was saying like you have to get into rooms this is the norm now you know everybody's networking like crazy on instagram because they can't go to the studio well maybe they can now but like you know all 2020 or most of it is you had to be online you know so what do your studio sessions look like now because i know you still have in-person studio sessions but they're mm-hmm. obviously smaller and they were there with uh, just working with a few musicians um and then this last one was just doing like a it was really just working with the artist that i know personally that he's just doing his, his project he paid me really well for it and other than that this is the first time i've been in the studio very small sessions um I make sure the people that I'm around are not kind of going out like crazy. I'm not too worried. I don't want to catch COVID. Let's just put that out there, but I'm not super worried about it, but I do live with my girlfriend who has some health issues already. So I'm trying to keep it as, you know, minimal as I possibly can until we can get the vaccine. So, but other than a couple that that's it so far, hopefully this year it'll be different, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good period to have the home studio set up. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of recording artists are scrambling to either scrambling to, to set one up or really regretting not having one just because when, when the studio shut down, what do you do? Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of major artists too are even recording in, in smaller setups these days. I don't know if that's been your experience in, in the industry. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we don't have that much time left. How do people follow you? How do people check out your beats or for contact you and follow you on social media? And then also YouTube, since that's your, your, yeah. I mean, I have so, so many different handles, like they're all different, but if you just Google my name, Dylan Graham, all of my shit's going to pop up uh, right away. So Instagram is at Dylan USOB. Uh, my YouTube's Dylan Graham. And samplestash.com is for my samples. Samplestash.com. Yep. Cool, man. Once again, I really appreciate your time and oh yeah, and sharing your experiences and whatnot. And then everyone who's watching this, if you have iOS, Beat Stars is on Clubhouse. Stay tuned for those conversations. And then also check out the Masego contest, masego.beatstars.com. I think Sydney uh is probably going to drop that uh, URL in the chat. So anyone who's who's in the chat right now, that will be a clickable link. You don't have to listen to my voice and try to understand what the hell I'm saying. Uh, all right, Dylan, man, I appreciate you. Um, yes, sir. I think I, I got to find, I got to, I got to schedule in advance another follow-up conversation with you. Cause I, I know things that I'm probably not supposed to know about some of your upcoming placements that, that may or, or may not be released soon. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely want to have a follow-up with you about that. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like it's going to be a crazy year for you. And, and I really, I really hope that it happens sooner than later and you don't have to sit around and play the waiting game for too much longer. Appreciate it, man. So is that a yes? Absolutely. I was hoping some of them would come out before this so we could talk about it on this one, but um, yeah, absolutely, man. 100%. No, I think it's good that they're not, so we can get more mileage out of this this conversation. With For sure, part Let's two. Do it, okay, man. everybody, you heard it. He committed. That's a verbal commitment. All right, <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll be back later in 2020 with with Dylan Graham, 
And uh, once again, we thank you for your time and, and your your insight. Appreciate you.